Hello to everybody who freaks out when a fly lands on your food. It's Beautiful Anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one-on-one, I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hi everybody, Chris Gathered here, welcome to another episode of Beautiful Anonymous. Thanks to everybody who listens to the show, thanks to everybody who supports the show, thanks to everybody who comes out to the live shows, they're coming up. In May, I'm back on the road, finally, May 5th, 6th, and 7th. I'm in Tallahassee, Tampa, in Orlando doing stand-up. And our first live tapings of Beautiful Anonymous will be in North Carolina, May 13th, in Durham, at the Motorco Music Hall, one of my all-time favorite venues I've ever played. And then Asheville. I keep hearing that Asheville, North Carolina is my kind of town. I finally get over to, to the Gray Eagle, May 14th. Live Beautiful Anonymous tapings for the early shows, live stand-up for the late shows, all of them. It's going to be a real good time. Hope you'll come out. I hope you'll come out. ChrisGeth.com for tickets. And yeah, Michigan, Ann Arbor, and Grand Rapids in May as well. Ooh, I can't wait to get back out on the road. Got to stop delaying all these tours. Okay. This week's episode. It's a, uh, it's a tough one in some ways. Some things that we should say first. We got some graphic talk. There's autopsy work discussed. I know that that might be something that uh, people need to hear about. There's mentions of sexual assault. Please keep that in mind before you listen. If you find these topics distressing, you might want to uh, be really careful with this one. Maybe think about joining us next episode instead. Uh, As you might have figured out, our call today is with an autopsy technician, which is such a specific thing to work in such a specific field, such a specific lifestyle. Um, As you can imagine, our caller is talking about wanting to change careers. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of autopsy technicians out there who are thrilled with their jobs and their lives. Our caller uh, talks about the opposite, about needing to switch it up. Talks about the origin of a very dark sense of humor. Talks about how this job has actually made him laugh very hard. Talks about how you unwind when you work in this field. It's a really fascinating episode about a fascinating profession, and it's one that I wish did not have so much to think about. I mean, we've been so surrounded by the idea of death the past few years that our, I, I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, you get into autopsy technicianing, you never imagine you're going to have this much death around you. Again, a very dark joke. Inappropriate? I don't know. We got to laugh. Me and the caller talk about that. Enjoy the call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello. Yeah, hello. Hi. Hi there. How are you? I'm okay. I tell you, I've got a cold, um, and it's kind of rocking me. But I took a COVID test. My wife took a COVID test. Everybody's negative. So I'm kind of uh, kind of out of it, a little under the weather, Listen. but... Just in that way that colds are annoying. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm okay. I actually had COVID not too long ago and uh it, it wasn't I don't I don't I hate saying that it wasn't so bad because I feel kinda like guilty that it wasn't so bad. Uh but it only kept me down for a few days. Uh the long term effects, who knows? But well, I'll try to stay healthy until then. <laughs> I'm glad it took it easy on you and 
I'm with you. Like, I don't ever want to discount the disease that's killed millions of people around the globe. But I will also say, like, my friends and family in my life who have gotten it recently, I feel like my cold is worse. I feel like this cold is rocking me. And I feel like my friends who had COVID, I'm like, oh, this is not good. But what can you do? Yeah, that's that's how I kind of felt. I'm like, man, I've had a cold worse than that. And again, I appreciate that it was mild. (laughs) I really do. Uh, I'm fortunate. So I'm sorry you're feeling kind of yeah, shitty. It happens. I'm glad I. I'm glad that my gig um, entails just like chilling out and talking to you, because it's not. It's not like I have to get out yeah. here and. Uh, it's not the most physically exerting job to sit here and speak into a microphone. So this is actually super pleasant distraction from thinking about it. Well, good. Then I won't bring it up again, so you don't think about it again. <laughs> I would just apologize if I <laughs> sneeze or have to blow my nose at any point. Oh, that's okay. We're uh, we're far enough apart to where it won't make me uh, side eye you. So yeah, that stuff can't travel through wires, so we're good. If you could, man, you would. Whew, oh yeah, you'd be very well off. <laughs> oh, I would be. I would. Uh, yeah, bad news. Bad news. Anyway, anyway, what's yeah. up? What's your deal? Yeah. Man, I'm, you know, I'm in a, I'll get right to it, cut to the chase. I'm in a career change. Nice. A lot going on, changing careers. I'm a non-traditional student in an under, uh, undergraduate program right now, hoping to move on to a PhD. Ooh, cool. Well, not hoping, I will. Uh, yeah. So, That's cool. A lot, of, a lot of stuff going on. All exciting, a little overwhelming. Uh but all, all worth, all worth, uh, all worth it. Now, all let me ask you this, because a lot of times people get in a career change and they'll go, I think it's time to evolve and move on. And it's um, mm-hmm. sort of chill. But I, I've noticed lately in history, you're seeing a lot of articles and a lot of postings from people who are like, I'm not going to spend my whole life doing this dumb job I hate. I'm out. I'm finding something new. Where do you lend on that spectrum of... Uh, like this is natural evolution versus I've hit a breaking point with the old horrible job. So I'm going to burn it down. It's honestly a little bit of both. Nice. Honestly, a little bit of both. Uh, so the job I'm at now, I, uh, I eviscerate people for a living. What? Um, and yeah, you know, take organs out, uh, draw blood, take brains out, all that kind of stuff. Hold on. Um, and there's what only you... so much you can do. Wait. No, 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 no. Hold on. You don't get to. Legally. Let me say it legally. It is. Yeah. All right. It is, you it can't is just job. say you rip people's organs out. <laughs> what do you do? What's your job? Uh, I'm a autopsy technician. Oh, wow. So I work at a, I work at a medical examiner's office. So I see all kinds of interesting cases come through. Damn, that's wild. Yeah. Uh, You know, there's only so much in my position you can do. The next step up from where I am is a forensic pathologist, which is a, you know, MD. So that's a huge gap to jump. And some people are okay with staying that, you know, staying 
doing eviscerations, which I'm, I'm not trying to diminish or be condescending, but for me, I, I need more than that. And I know this probably sounds like super baffling to people that are like, but you cut organs out of people that die in weird fucking ways. Uh, but I am someone who has to use brain. And by that, I mean, discuss ideas. So my job shift is me moving from something that's almost tedious and repetitive to something where I'm going to be looking at different scenarios more regularly than what I'm doing now. So it sounds like you've decided the future career path. It doesn't sound like you're floating. It seems like you've got something in sight here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't, uh, didn't mean to be so vague. But yes, yes, I head in one direction. And this new position, um, I'll be doing cognitive research, is moving towards the direction that I want to go in. And it will help when I, grad, you know, when I apply to grad schools for a PhD program because I'm doing undergrad research in my program now. So nothing, this brain, full of shit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does one, how does one become an autopsy technician? Um, so there, some offices require a college degree. Most all require at least a high school diploma. So at least that minimum in a really strong stomach. And, by virtue of what you do, <laughs> you're going to have to have a really dark sense of humor. <laughs> wow. There's stuff that is said in the morgue where you're like, if that were said in a fucking movie theater, it wouldn't be as funny. But because of the setting it's in, man, that's comedy gold. I have a whole sitcom I would love to write about working in a morgue where it wouldn't be gory. It would be more the underlying darkness and the humor rather than just outright, here's blood and gore. Because it's more than that. That job's more than that. Yeah, I bet. I bet. But that's, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to be making dark jokes when you're working in the morgue, pulling organs out of people. If you're not making dark jokes, people, yeah. that, that's got to be a job that there's people who get the gig and last half a shift. There have to be people who flee when they realize they can't do that, right? Oh, yeah, we have people that'll, They'll come in for an interview and uh, one of the, so they'll come in for an interview, talk, whatever bullshit. And then they'll come back a few days later where that's when they are like, okay, well now you're going to come into the morgue and let's see if you can really handle this. And 80% of the time people come back there and you just see them leave the morgue. And then you never see him again. <laughs> yeah. It's usually whenever you get into the, the gastric, that, that smell really gets to people. So it's or not the visuals, it's the smells. when you're cutting the off with like lopping shears. Yeah, it's mainly uh, smells down. Smells and sounds. people the most. Like the, the autopsy saw going through the skull, the lopping shears going through the ribs on the, you know, the sternum. Those sounds get people. So what exactly are, so to get through the sternum, the sternum, you, you got a special set of shears and what, you kind of like crack it? Well, it's not a special special set. You can go get the Fiskars from like Home Depot. That's what we use. And oh. uh, yeah, you just cut through through the ribs all the way up to, you know, the collarbone. And then you cut through that and you can take that chest plate off. And there's 
there's the heart, you know, all the pulmonary organs and yeah. How long you been doing this? <laughs> uh, I've been doing this job for a few years, but before that I worked in funeral homes. So I did embalming. I would go to uh, places of death and remove bodies from houses and hospitals or wherever they happen to die. Let's pause there. We got to take a break at some point. And by the standards of this call, I would go to places and pick up bodies from where they died. That's a quote where I'm like, okay, that's kind of a lighter moment for us to go to ads on. Who knows with this one anyway. We'll be right back. Thank you to our advertisers. Now let's get back to the phone call. Uh, I've been doing this job for a few years, but before that, I worked in funeral homes. So I did embalming. I would go to uh, places of death and remove bodies from houses and hospitals or wherever they happen to die. Uh, it's really kind of annoying when they're kind of bigger and die in a small bathroom, like beside the toilet and the ass to get people out of those situations. Yeah, I bet. I bet. So many jobs, so many job difficulties that you'd never think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. This is some track. I can see why you are planning an exit strategy. <laughs> it's more the it's more the 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 culture. Not not necessarily the culture. Well yeah, it, fuck it, it is the culture and the people I work with and the job itself. The job itself is cool. You know, you you'll get a homicide that'll come in and they'll have like these totally interesting wounds where, you know, maybe a knife is still stuck through their face or suicides where they'll blow their entire face off. Um, you may want to put trigger warnings for this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, just trigger warning for everything. Trigger warning, everything <laughs> in life. Every gruesome image. Every, everything you you're about to hear, embrace your fucking self because here it comes. Uh, but, it's, it's not, it's not the images and because there's a, a clinical detachment, yeah. of course, these are still people, but I don't necessarily know them. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. I feel like, I mean, you have to, you have to disconnect yourself from the idea that this is like a human who lived a life, who had friends and family. Like you have to disconnect yourself from that, right? Oh yeah. Cause if you, if you catch yourself in that loop, it'll fuck you up. Now and now, not. I've had times where I've been. Oh, where you've been? What? Oh, I, oh, I've been uh, like you know in an autopsy, and it'll hit me. I'm like, this, oh fuck, this is like somebody's dad, you know. And I'm like, whoa, nope. <laughs> Focus, you know, like get a get a not necessarily turn it off, just get the job done. Yeah, yeah, and not. Not everyone who dies gets an autopsy, right? So you're seeing cases where they're trying to figure out what happened or where something pretty unusual happened. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Yes, that is correct. And, and no, we don't autopsy everybody who dies. Um, so if someone, say someone's an older, older individual, they have a medical history, long, ex extensive medical history, they die at home or whatnot, if, if their primary care physician is willing to sign the death certificate, they don't come in for an autopsy. 
or say they're they've overdosed, which is holy shit, like a large majority of our caseload, and then they go to the hospital. But the hospital has already drawn blood and run uh, tox toxicology on their blood, so they already know it's you know acute hemorrhage due to whatever. Um, then we may get them, but then we just draw uh, draw tox for ourselves, and then we order the admit blood from the hospital for toxicology, and we will not talk to them. There's a lot of variables, you know, because as yeah. you can probably imagine, not many people die the same way or in the same scenario, or they're not found in the same amount of time, you know, uh, e-comp bodies, people, skeleton, skeletal remains, whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff. But no, to answer your question, not everybody gets an autopsy. This is really, oh, the few and the lucky get to have their chest plate cut off with Home Depot brand shears by you. Uh, <laughs> damn, this is fascinating. So I got a lot of questions. Here's one that comes to mind. You mentioned, so you mentioned that you see a lot okay. of overdoses. That's so sad. So like you're kind of in this position where a lot of societal trends or when things pass through in waves, your profession becomes aware of that in this really macabre way. Medical examiner's offices are great for public health. Right. Because you like, as you're alluding to, you know, when there's a trend of opioids or fentanyl coming through, we unfortunately get the people that didn't make it through. So you're amongst the first people to try to raise the red flag and send send word up through the chain of like, hey, there's something really bad happening here. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And I'm wondering, as a companion question, are there things you know about that happen to a body physically? that I would never know because I've never opened a body up. Meaning like, are there any things where you go, oh, well, you know, if somebody's been using opioids, it makes their intestines turn gray. Like, I know that sounds silly, but are there things where when you see it, you go, No, oh. no, it's not silly. I mean, you don't know unless you ask, you know? Yeah. So, no, I'm wondering if there's question. things you see where you go, this person probably died of this because this is going on with their liver or their kidney or their heart that like proves true because there's oh, physical yeah, things. What are some of those? Oh yeah, the lungs. If their lungs are heavy, they're very. Uh, if they're just fluid, soaked in fluid, or um, their bladder is incredibly distended, those are usually good indicators of an opioid overdose. And you know, keep in mind that you know the mechanisms of how that happens. I won't be able to answer. I'm you know I'm not a doctor. These are just things that when I uh, through just repetition, you know, I've done probably like 1500 autopsies or so. So just seeing things regularly, I can see a trend. Right. But once again, you know, the mechanisms, I, I uh, if I, I, I want to be challenged if I say anything wrong, you know, if anybody oh. out there hears and they're like, well, that's not true. Like, yeah, I'm not a doctor. So we'll go ahead and just, I'm glad that you're that making that clear, <laughs> but it, your perspective is yeah. so fascinating. Like, will you get enough you know, in the past few years, there's been enough people that have died from fentanyl and I'm not going to claim that I know all the science behind it, but I can see an effect on bladders and lungs and you can kind of sometimes accurately guess what a really fascinating thing. Yeah. Same with like, uh, you know, heart attacks. Um, 
whenever, you know, we, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if it's called this everywhere, but, you know, the all-American scar, the chest scar, you know, like heart surgery. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I know that's pretty dark. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. But you, you can generally tell, you know, sometimes those people won't get autopsy, sometimes they will, but you can tell, like, oh, when I open that heart, it's going to be giant or it's going to have some other sort of issue. Um, but yeah, opening, a, like, let's say there are no scars, you open it up, they're like maybe a heavier person, you can go, that person's heart's probably going to be pretty big, like 800 grams, which is a big heart. Four to five, let's say, is normal, quote unquote normal. Again, not a not a doctor just <laughs> sure sure and have you because ultimately an autopsy serves to determine the cause of death right that's why an autopsy exists yes yes absolutely have you ever participated in anywhere where at the end of the process people just look at each other and go i don't know what the fuck's going on here or is that i have to imagine that's rare sometimes Okay. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, but it does happen. Yeah, sometimes uh, does happen. Some that's what we you know send talks for because sometimes maybe there are no telltale signs of an overdose. Most most of the time you can't tell when you open an organ. Most of the time, so you have to wait for tox reports to come back and 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 or you know the pathologist save tissues and jars so they can go back and look send it off histology which is to take tissue make it into slides you can look at in a mic- under a microscope because maybe oh okay maybe there was something going on with you know their pancreas or their liver or whatever they look for yeah yeah now well, I was going to ask a really hard question because you said you said right out of the gate like you have to kind of turn off the part of you you have to do the job, right? You have to prioritize the job. And there's people who can't. There's people right. who realize very quickly they can't. On your personal level, how much of that is you finding like, I have a character and a countenance where I can get this job done? Because specifically right now, I'm sitting here and going, if I had this job, even if it turned out that I was able to do it, I imagine there has to be these benchmarks of like, eventually you're going to see a suicide. Eventually you're going to see a child. Mm-hmm. Eventually you might see someone covered yeah. in bruises from domestic abuse. You're going to see a lot of things where you're going to eventually see them for the first time. But in your line of work, you're going to see them. And it's part of why the job is there. Um, right. How much of that is learning how to have a thick skin and how much of it is you just kind of have to be a in this profession, there's certain types of people that can do it and you figure out pretty quickly. Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, so from my personal point of view, it it's almost like, for me, it was like building a callus. Um, the first time, so the first time I saw an embalming, passed out, fell backwards, hit a mop bucket, got bleached out my favorite, you know, sweater vest i can't believe i fucking wore sweater vest but <laughs> bleach that and, <laughs> and then that was my first experience with that 
So, and then over time, you know, my first removal, which is where you go to the house to make a, you know, pick up the body. Um, it was my first removal. The person I went with, they were uh, just kind of threw me in. Like, okay, go talk to the husband and, and keep in mind, never talked. I've never spoken with a grieving widow before. And I just stood there silent because I mean, what the, what do you say? Yeah. Uh, how do you say it? Where, where do you start? Where, you know, cause I'm sure as everybody knows, everybody grieves differently. So how do I know? Like, is this someone you joke with? Is this someone you just shut the fuck up and let them process? Is this someone where you ask them questions? Is this someone where you let them ask you questions? Yeah. I stood there frozen before he went, kind of looked at me and then he, he started talking. I'm like, you fucking asshole. Why couldn't you have just done that? So there is there for me, there was some uh, building up to, you know, the first time I autopsied a baby, I was like, Ooh, yeah, of course. Can't even imagine. Yeah. It, it, I guess what makes it tough is when like, it's hard to say stuff without sounding like a sociopath, but when a, Let's say, like, uh, I won't use baby. A person comes in, right? They don't have any anything on them. Um, let's say, n- n- no keepsakes, right? Sure, they have pants and stuff on. But say someone, that's fine. But say someone sen- sends them with, like, their favorite stuffed animal. You're like, oh, shit, man. They, like, personalize. You know, they personalize them. That's what makes it hard, seeing, like, oh, there's something that, I will now remember that person. But everybody else remembers that person by this item right here. That's when it gets tough. Yeah, man. I couldn't do it. I'm going to go on record and say, couldn't do it. (laughs) You wouldn't want to come watch an autopsy? I can't imagine I'd hold up too well. I feel like I'd be, uh, I feel it. You'd ruin your sweater vest? Yeah, well, I, I feel like I'd see. I don't know if I'd pass out. I might pass out. I'm not going to pretend I wouldn't. I might pass out, but I think I would be more of the inclination of sitting there going, like, "Man, this is somebody's sister, somebody's daughter, like this and that." And and at the actual, you know, the actual brass tacks of what you do, I'm sure there's a high level of professionalism, but you, I just can't imagine that you could sit there and go, "Well, it's my job to cut this person's sternum in half and then crack their." collarbone so I can remove their chest plate while also be going, this is someone's sister. I have to imagine you have to be able yeah, to turn that part of yourself occur. off. Yeah, that's very hard for me to turn that off. Yeah, they don't occur to me simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as you know, mentioned before, where I'm like, nope, you can't. Not right now. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be honest, though, I feel like not not to compare, but I feel like I have it easier than, say, a first responder who shows up on scene with someone, like, writhing and screaming in pain. To me, that's – I couldn't do that. Yeah. I'm I've, actually in the process. I've witnessed an accident where – Oh, where what? Sorry, go ahead. No, where what? This one needs to get a little darker. This episode's been too fluffy and light so far. What's this accident you witnessed? Well, you know, this was not, I wasn't working in medical examiner's office. Uh, this was years ago. 
Okay. Um, I witnessed the motorcycle accident, and I was on the phone with 911, and I watched the husband die, and then I watched the wife, like, you know, agonal breathing face down on the concrete. Like, ma'am, you know, I'm not touching her or anything on the phone with 911. Like, ma'am, can you can you talk to me? And I just hear that exhale, and that's it. I was like, oh shit, man, that's rough. Yes. I mean, i i can I could paint an accurate picture of that night. Yeah. yeah. But I feel like because I had dealt with death before, I was a little more capable of handling that. So that. That happened at which stage of your career that you witnessed that accident? This was a decade ago. Over a decade ago. Okay. Maybe a decade and a half. No, what am I talking about? 15 years. <laughs> but the, the trauma of having witnessed like that. A, maybe... a decade and a half ago. <laughs> the, uh, I wonder if the trauma of witnessing something like that helped begin the callous building process that allows you to do what you do now. You know, I've never thought about that. Look at you. You should be using a decade and a half. In terms but no, of I, uh, no, I'm just saying the terminology. Oh yeah. I'll get there someday. Never mind. I'll get yeah. there someday. <laughs> what's your, uh, what's your personal life like? Married kids? Um, I have, I have a kid. Uh, he's almost 18. Uh, um, got a girlfriend I've been in a relationship with for a while. Uh, it's been off and on. I was not a great boyfriend and how she somehow still sees me in a way that's positive. I don't understand it. Okay. So you've made some mistakes along the way. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely was unfaithful uh, multiple, multiple times. And she took you back. Yeah. I, I don't know how or why, but I know that I'm fucking lucky. Let's pause there. It's a good note. I'm lucky. Take a second, think about all the things you're lucky for in life. Here's some commercials. It's how the show exists, because we got the ads. Let's get them over with. We'll be right back. Thanks again to our advertisers. Now we're going to finish off the phone call. Again, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm incredibly grateful and, yeah. Because I love her. I love, I love the hell out of her. I'm going to play armchair psychologist, which I usually avoid, but I have to ask, does the job have an effect on your personal life like this? Like, is it hard to connect with other people? Is it hard to want to develop strong emotional bonds when you see death professionally? Like when you get home from a day where you know, you've know you just seen someone who was a murder victim or who was in an accident that was brutal and then you sit here and go, 
can I truly emotionally connect with anyone else? Um, um, after dealing with that, I have to wonder. But I'm not trying to make excuses for you. Either. No, that. Yeah, yeah, of course. No, that that came much earlier in life. Uh, that was forming relationships with something that happened, or having issues is something that got affected when I was very, very uh, young, like elementary school age. Uh, I was, I was sexually assaulted. So, you know, for years I never had this whole, oh, it doesn't affect me. I don't have PTSD. You know, I don't have these flashbacks. I don't have these images, uh, you know, none of that. So I always thought, oh, this, it, it doesn't fucking bother me. It, it was just, it happened, no big deal, I'm good. Until I started realizing later in life that, it's, oh, I'm not building relationships. I'm not trusting people. I'm not trusting the woman that I love because I can't seem to trust anybody. Wow. You said that happened in elementary school? That, all, all that job did was make me go, oh, death is fucking everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> your waffle, it's in your car, it's in your... <laughs> death is in your waffles. Chew that shit up. Wow. Wow. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry to hear that happened to you when you were young. And it is, I mean, I think it's actually probably something, I bet there's a lot of listeners right now who can probably take some solace in the fact of, even if you move on and go, so I'm not going to let that affect me. That was what it was. That that long term, the effects might show back up again. That especially when you're a young person, you start maybe setting some parameters or building some defense mechanisms that might have long term effects down the line. So I'm really that's awful that that happened to you, and I'm sorry that it's affecting your adult relationships. Yeah, it's something I haven't told. I've only told like a few people about now, like a few, however many people about, yeah. um, that's, that's why it was kind of weird to say, <laughs> and I guess, you know, I can't say I was raped, you know, I, it's hard for me to say that even though I just did. Uh, and that was even kind of like, Oh fuck. I said that out loud. Uh, uh and have you, have I still you... feel like it's kind of my fault, but I know it's not like, no, I know it's not. But you said you were in elementary school, like, right? Yeah. Yeah, then absolutely. I can, I mean, in no world am I a professional. There are many professional people, but I can just say categorically, it was not, if you were an elementary school age student, that's not your fault. It's never your fault. Especially when you're a kid, man. Not your fault. No way. No way. But that's probably where a lot of that dark sense of humor comes from. So you're maybe seeing some parallels. Yeah. And we're yeah. we're kind of uncovering this together right now. So yeah. I'm I'm in the back seat with you, man. Let's let's enjoy this ride. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I I mean uh many people this is super dark, painful stuff, but I'm I'm someone who's also learned to laugh at the dark stuff and uh I'm really I'm really I feel really awful that that happen that it's messed with your head that you've blamed yourself and that it's had shown up as an adult i mean uh did not expect that we were already we were already discussing stuff that feels so dark um yeah 
Yeah. Have you talked with, have you, have you talked about that with a professional? Like, do you, have you ever seen a shrink? I say as someone who's, yeah, who had yeah, a session yeah. with my shrink earlier today. You did? Yeah, I did. 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern time every Tuesday. That's where you can find me. Tele, That's amazing. Telemedicine shrinking with my doctor. With good old Barb. Now, it being every day, does that every help Tuesday. you every stay Tuesday. consistent? Well, not, that's what I meant. Every yeah, Tuesday. Having a consistent no schedule. Yeah, I tell you what. I had actually <laughs> gone down to twice a month and then even once a month after a certain point. And then I had a bit of a breakdown mm -hmm. uh 2020, as many people did. And we've been back on a weekly schedule ever since. We're talking about maybe slowing it down. But we have a real good long-term relationship where we can have those conversations but i think especially in the moments when the duress is there consistency is key right like knowing it's every tuesday at 10 yeah. just helps me so much in committing to it and not missing it and not making excuses to find my way around it it's just that part of the schedule and blocks. setting time aside for it exactly exactly so there's no excuse like oh i don't have yeah. time for it no you do 10 to 11 every tuesday there's time exactly for it. everything else builds around that and I, then i can't play that game too of like oh well you know it's not uh, we were on thursday this week and we were wednesday last week so i messed up and i scheduled something else so can we do this and i like i can't start playing those games to weasel my way out of appointments it's just no that's set long term it's everything slippery else slope. builds around that yeah yeah cuz people like me find our way out of anything if we can find enough logic to do so. Yeah, I can definitely squeeze out of uncomfortable situations. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Like an I Irish bet. goodbye right out of them. Ooh. Like I'm the best of them. The best. I'm great at Irish goodbyes. Really great at it. I'm an Irish goodbye off. <laughs> Let's see who's least detectable on the way out. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I mean, I feel like you might take the cake on that. Who knows? Who knows? What do you do? Like, so... I had brought, I had asked about your personal life and, you know, it led to this revelation that you've had some dark stuff in your past and it's maybe affected your boyfriend abilities. Now, the reason I initially brought it up, mm -hmm. I still want to know about though, which is when you're working a gig like you work, how do you let it go? How do you blow off steam? Are you listening to music I'm while you do it? Do you have hobbies outside of it that are just built in press re pressure relief levers? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, as far as uh, the latter part of that, I I have creative endeavors. You know, I play guitar, I write music, uh, I record music. And when I'm when I'm because I work full time and I'm in school full time, school is my my how I blow steam off. Mm -hmm. But when I'm not in school and I actually have time to record music and whatever, draw, read, whatever it is, uh, that's that's what I do. So school is kind of my escape and yeah. not my escape to where I go, Oh, this is something to distract me, but it's some, a, a different place to focus that energy on instead of letting it consume me. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to consume that, not let it consume me. Yeah. And do the, do the dark jokes generally stay in the morgue amongst your other coworkers who get it? Or do they ever show up at home? Like, are you known for a dark sense of humor in general with your with your family? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, you know, I'm kind of careful. No, that's not totally true. Uh, I was going to say I'm careful with it, but I'm not. I'm pretty flippant. Uh, but it's, yeah, you, you can say that. 
it's it's definitely with everybody. Yeah. And and it's hard, especially, you know, nowadays, because you don't know who it's going to offend. Yeah. Because let's be honest, dark, dark humor is kind of offensive. Certainly can be. Because you're taking something that shouldn't be funny and making it funny. Right. Right. Do you, since we're on this topic, do you remember the hardest you've ever laughed on the job? Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I gotta ask. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So sometimes when you're you're cutting uh, the intestines out, you know they they're full of shit. That's what's in them. So one day, one of the a coworker. And some of so some of the techs have trays, like little trays on wheels that they wheel around. It's their personal station. Uh, so one of the techs took like a he had cut into the cut the intestine out and all the shit poured out. So he took it, took a pile of it, and slammed it on another coworker's tray. <laughs> I know that's not funny to anybody else. But I laugh super hard. Damn. We'll go around and like slap each other's apron with like bloody handprints and there's like a handprint on the apron, you know? <laughs> Jesus. That is, I mean, that is dark. I mean, you got to find ways to laugh to get through these shifts, but that is dark. Sneak a bloody handprint onto yeah, a coworker's and- apron when they're not looking. <laughs> Throw some human feces on their tray yeah. so they got to clean it up. That is dark. <laughs> But you also have to realize, like, I guarantee you, if you were to ask a doctor about their sense of humor, uh, sure. I'm pretty sure they've got some pretty fucked up humor, too. I'm you know, sure. it, I feel like anybody that works in that line usually most definitely does. Because, you know, as I say this, I'm like, man, that sounds like really insensitive. And yeah, is it? Probably. But. I'm kind of breaking a rule of what happens in the morgue stays in the morgue. Well, look, I'll also and say not this. that like weird stuff happens in there, but stuff like that, you know, like slapping a blood print on someone's apron. I'll also say this, like it, that's dark and there might be people sitting there going, whoa, is that real? I hope that doesn't happen. But if that's how you're getting through the shifts, there's also a part of me going like, if anybody's mad about it, do you want to sign up to do the autopsies? I bet you don't. And for the people that do, it's like there's so many steps in different processes in life, and especially in death, because mm-hmm. we don't love talking about death. And you and the people in your position are like a link in a chain that we don't necessarily like to think about or talk about like you hear about you read about in the paper oh the body was autopsied someone did that and that person might be you yeah someone like you so if you guys need to fuck around and do some jackass stunts and leave a bloody handprint on your buddy's back at the end of the day so that you can stay sane me personally i'm okay with that because i'm not one to do an autopsy yeah okay i'm not built for it (laughs) you are And it's not everybody. It's not like we all walk around slapping each other with bloody handprints. That's just the way some individuals do. And that happens, I guarantee you, that happens at every 
single medical examiner's facility in one way or another. Some people make dark jokes. I am sure people have to be making jokes because you're seeing, you're also seeing and dealing with some truly sad aspects of the human experience. You are very, you are seeing people exclusively at the end of a life and very often at the tragic end of a life or the unexplained end of a life. And I have to imagine there's going to be times where you got to, you got to make a joke fast or you're going to lose it. Yes. All of those are coping mechanisms for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There must, there's must be times where you know what the last thing a person ate was. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's... Absolutely. I've gotten really good at identifying what partially digested up food items look like. So you might be like, I, I think they might have gone to the movies recently. There's popcorn and Sour Patch Kids in there. Yeah. Oh, there's like a little piece of a hot dog. There's a... This person didn't chew well because that's like a whole fucking McDonald's french fry right there. And... <laughs> Yeah, you can you can tell. Oh, that's an onion. That's uh, looks like rice, maybe. It's not a maggot, even though those sometimes look similar. Definitely rice. Uh. <laughs> 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 Difference between rice and magnets. You're an expert after all these years. Yeah, some uh, move. You know, rice doesn't move, so that's a that's a good indicator. That's your first indicator. Oh, the rice is crawling. The rice is crawling. <laughs> There's a trail behind it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Wow. So now whenever I see a fly land on my food, I think, did that motherfucker come from a morgue and now it's on my food? Oh, wow. Shit. <laughs> yeah. Out of everything I've seen, that's what I think of. Oh, that nice. fly, man. Gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so simple. It's like you've seen a fly land on a person's exposed liver and you've had to shoo it away. That means you'll never want a fly to land on your food ever again. Like that's a simple... Never again. Lifelong thing that will probably trail you forever. And now me and everyone hearing this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) No, I love it. I love talking about it. I love talking about it. Now people people are going to listen to this at a cookout and be like... We're moving this inside. Fly lands on the table. You're like, we come on. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. need to be on the other side of screens. No, no, no. These things land everywhere. You guys would be shocked. <laughs> I'm going to ask you another juvenile question that I bet people have asked. Please. Is your relationship to nudity different? Because I imagine you're seeing uh, most of these bodies are not clothed. Th- whether you get them clothed or by the end, you have to disrobe all these people. Right. Um, no, no, because I don't. I don't associate that nudity with like seeing my girlfriend naked. Two different, two different nakeds. Very, two very, very different nakeds. And I, I can't put into words what how that is different, but it, you know, it, it feels different. Which I feel like is pretty good. Something in my brain is working correctly. Good, to tell yes. me like dead naked people, not the same as live naked naked people. That is so. a well functioning aspect of your psyche, my friend. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Those those synapses are firmly uh firmly talking to each other. Yeah. It's just such a such a strange juncture to think. You know, you never realize there's somebody there and, and it's not just like you said, there's there's people who work at funeral homes, there's embalmers, there's there's 
a handful of people whose jobs necessitate like there's so many people who you've quote unquote met, but you've only met them after they're gone when they're in this extraordinarily vulnerable state of being deceased and being exposed. Mm -hmm. And there is such a responsibility to that. And such a, Oh, absolutely. I, yeah, and I, I think a lot about this show. Like, I've had all these anonymous conversations, and sometimes, like, when I make it back to New York City, still, I walk around the streets, and they're all crowded. I'll go, I wonder if I've talked to any of these people, you know? And you must, I don't know if you yeah. must, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if you must walk around and go, like, I wonder if any of these people are related to a person who I've seen, or I wonder if any of these people are going to wind up on my table someday, you know? I've, I'll do you one better. I had an instance, it was right, right when I first started, maybe a couple of weeks after I first started, I was at a red light and I look over at the car next to me and I'm like, I, I what the fuck? Cause I, I thought, I, I just autopsied that dude like two days ago. It looked just like someone in that kind of recognition is an out of body experience. Cause that really just shakes permanence and the thought of permanence to the core when you're like that person was dead but now they're driving never mind i'm living in an alternate reality that that was just like a hiccup they're not alive but doppelganger for sure <laughs> yeah yeah i had a friend who passed and then after he passed i realized he just had i don't know how to explain it except to say he just had a very common face if that makes sense. Like I'd walk around and kept thinking mm -hmm. I saw him places and I'd go, Oh no, he just, he was just like an every man. And a, a lot of people remind me of him, but it's jarring. And I can't imagine having to do that professionally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's something else. To be honest, when I leave, I will, I will miss it. But at the same time, it's time for me to move in the direction I need to go in. Yes. Yes, you deserve it. You've done your part. And you mentioned before that you were getting your PhD. And I, I know you indicated what you were doing. Can you remind me what you're moving on to? Yes. I'm, it's going to be in uh, clinical neuroscience. Clinical neuroscience. So pretty different. Pretty different than what you're doing now. No. Well, yeah, uh, if it was a spectrum, it would be on the other end for sure. Yeah, no. I, well, I mean, I feel like children's party entertainer <laughs> might be on the other end, or like, like uh, <laughs> person yeah. who paints kids' faces at the zoo for money might be at the other end. Um, you know, as far as I'm trying to think, what are like the jobs you're surrounded by the most joy? Um, wow. Yeah, I, I guess I was looking at it more like a triangle, you know. So true. From True. Autopsy to clinical neuroscience, and then from neuroscience to face paint person, from there to back to the you know autopsy. But you still are entering a profession where you, you it still reflects a desire. And I'm not saying this facetiously. I actually find it interesting as I think about it. You still kind of want to know how people tick. They have that in common. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the brain is something I've always been interested in since. I can remember. Uh, how do we pay attention? Why do we pay attention? Why do we remember? Why do we remember what we remember? How? You know, all of these questions that, you know, neuroscience is answering at a fairly rapid rate these days. Um, 
all very interesting and always has been. So yeah, that's true. Seeing how the the per, the person works. Uh, I wonder if you're going to have any advantages in those classes or any different perspectives, being that you have actually removed a human brain from a skull. Yeah, I think it's it's already helped me in my academic ventures now. How so? Just whenever, you know, going over, you know, neuroanatomy or neurobiology or, you know, neuroscience, just going, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, I've seen, I've seen that. <laughs> You've seen it, you know, in, in, in the book, but I've fucking seen it. <laughs> yeah. It's been warm when I've seen it. You've pulled a warm human brain out of a skull? Mm-hmm. So that means the person has not been deceased all that long. Correct. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I, you deserve you deserve a long career in something else. I feel like you've spent some time in trenches on behalf of the rest of us doing some work that is oft not talked about. It's important. It's, it is very important for the benefit of society. It helps questions get answered. It helps families understand what happened to deceased loved ones. It helps crimes get solved. Very important, but you can't do that forever. I yeah. bet there's people who have been doing it forever and you must look at them and go, God bless you, but also that can't be me. That you have to have that, right? Um, for them, yeah, yeah. They're the forensic pathologists still that have been doing it for 40 years. I'm like, man, I don't know how you do it. But what, with all the more joking aside and all of that, what we are doing never, the big picture of what we're doing never leaves us. Like we're trying to get answers for this, this family, regardless of manner of death or cause of death, you know, suicide, whatever. It doesn't matter. The family is still alive. Whether this person quote unquote had it coming, I don't think anybody obviously deserves anything bad to happen to them. But, you know, there are those people who are like, oh, well, they had that coming because they were doing drugs. Kind of shitty way to look at it, but um, the family's still behind. The family's still there dealing with this loss. And that's always present. Maybe not this person, who they were as a person, but the importance of holding integrity for that family is kind of is definitely the standard. That's a steady trait throughout every day in the morning. What I have picked up on in life, uh, and I'm not, I'm actually, I'm not the most comfortable around death. It is not something I have, I, I don't, I've, I've seen, you know, I've been to open casket funerals. I've never seen, like, I'm happy to tell you, I've never seen a deceased human body outside of that. But I do get the sense over and over again that for people who are grieving, having really difficult answers to difficult questions serves them much, much better than having no answers. And effectively, you and your your coworkers and the other people in your field, you answer questions is what you do surrounding the most difficult yeah. thing, uh, the difficult stretch for a family, you know? And grieving people being told, okay... 
So yeah, it looks like someone, you know, looks like maybe they did relapse and there was drugs in the system and this and that. That's going to be a very, very difficult answer to give to them when they're going to have some really difficult questions. But ultimately, you are giving them a service that by having that question answered, I imagine creates a quicker path to peace and to definitely to being able to reconcile what happened. So it's a, it's a massive service. Yeah, I've never spoken to the families, but as you can imagine, some families, when they're told the news, they don't accept it. They right. weren't suicidal. No, that can't be. But even though there is that resistance of accepting, what it does is, as you were stating, it gets them there faster. I know you're going to have a tough time with this answer, but at least now you can begin that journey. You can begin that path of healing in whatever way you heal instead of waiting around and being upset about not knowing the answer, wondering or deciding or just filling in the blanks, you know, building your own model of what happened. So yeah, yeah, definitely helps. What kind of music do you play when you make music? Ah, I play a little bit of, I mean, I, I everything, uh, but I've been writing like a rock, lot of rock music, uh, a lot of just kind of 90s inspired music uh, as of late. I have one I'm working on, but I've been on pause because, you know, I'm way too damn busy. But I play, you know, I play everything. I program drums, but everything else I play wow. myself. I write it, I arrange it, I mix it, nice. record it. I have a little home studio, yeah. I was hoping you were going to be like, oh, I write pop songs like T-Swift, pit, like dance, like Pitbull type stuff, stuff that like you can really dance to and lose yourself. And then I was scared you're going to be like, you know, mostly like um, Scandinavian black metal grindcore type stuff. Like I was scared you were just going to live in that darkness, but it sounds like you live in a middle ground where it's just music. You're just making music. That's good. Yeah, it's for me. I'll put, you know, obviously I put it out because there's something about, even if you're doing something for fun, especially like, let's say music, to me, putting it out there is is finalizing it. Okay, it's not mine anymore. Yeah, that's it. I can't. If I touch it anymore, it's different now. So once I put it out there, that's what it is. I can stop tweaking it. I can stop adjusting it. I can stop working on the tone of the snare or whatever. Done. Finality. Once again, yeah. Finality and its massive impact on your life. We've found the theme. Indeed. Indeed. And we got a minute and a half to spare. Man, wow. That went by fast. I'm sure you yeah. hear that all the time. No, I mean, this one flew. You got a lot of interesting things to talk about. I feel really lucky that, that you filled me in on this, on this gig. I hope people can find some sort of solace in this, you know, hearing this. And if they can get through the, like, dark humor shit, if they can find something where, oh, I can, I can relate to that or that, that I hope someone can truly. Yeah. I feel, honestly, I feel like at the end of the day, a lot of callers are going to go, this one was dark and macabre, but also feel good knowing that there's like what appears to be just like a reasonable human being with good intentions. Who's at the end of that process for me and my loved ones. Like it's, 
a lot of people don't like to think about any of this. So to hear that someone's there and you're like, no, it's it's competent individuals who maybe have dark sense of humor more often than not, but it's like competent people who want to work hard and get all the answers to these these uh, situations. I think people will feel good to know you're out there. And I think people are going to be rooting for you as you uh, approach your new life as well. I think, P, I think a lot of our listeners are going to go, and I hope that he can... Uh, I hope he cannot repeat his mistakes with his girlfriend. And I think a lot of people are going to go, and I hope that he can find a lot of healing from the abuse of the past. I think a lot of people are going to walk away with a lot from this call. Good. Yeah, I just, my main takeaway regarding my girlfriend is if you, if you really love someone, don't fuck that up. Yeah. Truly, don't fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our time together is up. I got to thank you. This was mind-blowing. Nothing. Much love to you, to your girlfriend, to your son. So much luck in school and in this transition from one job to the other. And thanks for helping people figure out how bodies tick and good luck figuring out how brains tick. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for letting me be on, not having me on, allowing me. Caller, thank you again. You ended by saying thank you, me for allowing you. No, thank you for opening up and sharing so much. It's really beautiful. Good luck to you with everything. The show is produced by Anita Flores and engineered by Marcus Hobb. Our theme song is by Shell Shack. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me. And hey, wherever you're listening, there's a button that says subscribe or favorite or follow. It really helps us if you hit that button, so please do so. And you can find our merch. It's at podswag.com. There's mugs, shirts, posters, all kinds of stuff. And if you want ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous, tons of other shows, go to Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium.